Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am one of your hosts, James, and with me is Joe. Good evening, folks. And unfortunately, folks, um, Chris could not join us for this episode, uh, but he will be back uh, for our next episode. But we do have an amazing guest uh, for you today. Uh, this guest has written over 50 novels uh, covering um, the realms of Star Trek, the Marvel Universe, uh, Aliens, and Predator, as well as writing many comic books also in the Star Trek universe and the DC universe. He is uh, currently um, has a Kickstarter for a new collaborative project that he's working on or has coming out that we're going to talk to him about. And above all of that, also, he was also a person who visited and came to Mint Condition, which is what the podcast is based upon. So I'm very happy and honored to have uh, Michael Jan Friedman joining us today. Hey, guys. Hi, Michael. Welcome aboard. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for doing the show. We really appreciate it. Um, you, we have uh, so much that we could get into and, and talk about with you. But, um, you know, since this is the first time you're on the show, uh, what we, we like to do with every, every time someone new appears on the show is to go back a little bit into the secret origins of that person. And we kind of want to go back and talk about what were your original influences, if you can remember, that got you into superheroes and science fiction and all the things that we talk about in pop culture these days. Sure. Well, uh, you know, my first love was comics and I probably, you know, I think, I think it was about five or six years old when my parents started reading comics to me in, in the backyard. Uh, and, um, and, and so, you know, I, when I read a comic you know, they're sort of, they're sort of like reading to me in a way, you know, they're, they're involved in the process. Um, uh, and then, you know, when I, when I got to be six and seven, I was, I was reading, um, prose stories, uh, basically science fiction and fantasy, but eventually, you know, uh, uh, prose stories about superheroes as well. There were a few of those around and, uh, and so I read those too, but I, I was a voracious reader. You know, I was, I, I, um, I read comics every comic i could get my hands on actually when i started reading comics there were no marvels uh it uh, fantastic four number one came out came out when i was like six years old so wow that was like what is this thing it's kind of weird and the colors aren't that bright i i'm not sure if i really like this but you know it was compelling it was sort of a science fiction comic so it was compelling and, uh, but I was mostly to that point, I was mostly used to DC, not just, not just superhero comics, but also their, uh, science fiction anthologies. So, uh, you know, like, um, uh, tales of the unexpected and strange adventures yeah. and so on um, mystery in space. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, those were my, my comic book influences. You know, in terms of in terms of my prose writing, it would be Ray Bradbury and um, Edgar Rice Burroughs and Roger Zelazny, um, who's a perennial Hugo and Nebula Award winner, mm -hmm. uh, Poole Anderson. Um, those were those were really the guys that influenced me as a writer. 
Did you, um, I mean, it might be hard to pick now, or it might be, may have been hard to pick then, but if you, what would you say your favorite, I guess, um, childhood superhero was if you, or, or, or whoever, or a couple of them, if you can't pick out one. Sure. Well, um, I loved the Green Lantern. Um, I was on the DC side. I was also partial to, um, uh, Adam Strange and, uh, Martian Manhunter, Challengers of the Unknown. Um, on the on the Marvel side, uh, Thor, Captain America, um, you know, I, I bought everything, but but those were the the guys that really that really uh, caught my interest. Michael, I have to ask you because I'm I'm your age and I started reading comic books a little bit later than you did. I was about nine or ten, mm-hmm. but uh, do you remember how difficult it could be to find a comic book back in those days in the sixties? Uh, you would go into a drugstore or a candy store and you're looking for your favorite issue of The Flash or Green Lantern, and it wasn't always there. So there was no local comic shop to go to. You had to search things out. You go go to more than one place. Did you have that problem, or did you have I, a go-to place? I really didn't. I really didn't. I, oh. I went to a place uh, called Gwen's uh, okay. store uh, uh, near the intersection of um, Springfield Boulevard and Union Turnpike, uh-huh. and Gwen's always had... Uh, always had she had a great magazine rack and and uh, always had had um, <clears throat> excuse me always had the the new comics. Once in a while you missed one. Yes, yeah, yeah. Once I, in a I, while you did, but um, but uh, you know that just I don't know it just just kind of came with the territory. But almost invariably, I got whatever I wanted uh, at that comic store at that right. uh, sorry, at that candy store. Yeah. I well, where a candy store and a drugstore uh, uh, within a few blocks of each other that I used to frequent often to get, pick up my comics. Well, I'm a, I mean, I, I'm spoiled because I've I've only <laughs> I, I've only I mean I have gotten comic books like at, at the you know at the at a drugstore or stationery store, but I've I've been around since the time of like comic book stores. So I guess Mike, yeah. what what was your like I guess first uh, like comic book store that that you that you went to or found? Yeah, um, let's see, there were. Well, there were a few. There was uh, there was one in uh, Forest Hills that I would uh, uh, go to occasionally. There was a guy named Joe who was on the east side in the fifties, not far from where I worked, and uh, he had a store. I feel like it was on the second floor, maybe. Hmm. But um, uh, anyway, so I would you know, I would I would go there for new comics, um, and I would I would actually order them in bulk. You know, because I was also I was actually dealing comics for a while. So, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I would go to conventions uh, in in the city, and uh, I would deal comics. That was Not, for a while. Excuse me, Michael. Was that Joe Parenti of Nemo's in Forest Hills? Uh, no, I remember uh, Joe uh, uh, Parenti was uh, in Forest Hills. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it was uh, in the the store in Forest Hills was uh, Carbonaro. Oh, Michael Carbonaro, and yes, okay, I remember. Yeah, I remember Carbonaro store too. Yes, and the and the guy in uh, the city in the fifties that was Joe Lehack, I want to say. Yeah, that one I'm not familiar with. I used to go to um, Ed Summers Super Snipe on the Upper East Side in the eighties, uh-huh. Upper East, Upper eighties. Yeah, I would pick up books there in the nineteen seventies. But yeah. but really, I you know I I was able to get comics in other places and wouldn't always go to the the comic store unless it was something that i really you know missed or or something that i 
maybe graphic novel or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's great. I mean, I always, I always like hearing, especially, you know, again, cause I, I've only seen so many comic book stores. I love hearing the history of like the different stores and how like it went from just being in stationary stores and news racks into the comic book store proper and into conventions and stuff. And also in addition to like talking like, you know, just pop culture in general of your, of your early up or your early introduction to it. I know you're a, a sports fan, a baseball fan too, right? Yes. I'm wearing my Yankee shirt right now. Okay, I got a question for you. Now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were born in the Bronx in the shadow of Yankee Stadium? Sort of. I, I, I'm not sure who's exactly in the shadow. <laughs> late, late in the day when that shadow was very long. but uh, Yes, that's right. You're tough to see the ball if you're hitting. I, in, I, only, I only lived in the Bronx until I was about two. So then you moved to Queens. So how come you grew up a, a Yankee fan and not a, an amazing Met fan? Well, uh, the Mets didn't show up. Uh, until I was six years old. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I bleed Yankee pinstripe, and I was born in Brooklyn, so I had to. I had to deal with a lot of Met fans. Oh my brother my and I. Yeah, my brother and I were the two, and my best friend were the only three Yankee fans on the block. So it was mm-hmm. rough, especially in '69. Well, you know, I, I, I think before anything, I was a Mickey Mantle fan. You yeah. Know, I saw Mickey Mantle on TV. I read about him in the newspaper. I would clip the uh, box scores out of the newspaper. And and so and they were they were still very good. And they were very good, and, and and so I became a Yankee fan before really before I ever heard about them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my dad. I asked my dad once why you were born and raised in Brooklyn. Why weren't you a Dodger fan? Why yeah. you for the Yankees? He said I wanted to root for a winner. That's why. <laughs> so I was a Yankee fan. Right. right. So, and I, uh, yeah. Right now the game's in rain delay because there's a storm coming. I but, think uh, uh, I think it's been postponed. Ah. Okay. I'll watch the Rangers later tonight then. <laughs> yeah. So Mike, so um, I appreciate giving you all that history and all that backstory. So I guess I'm going to fast forward a lot. What What do you remember about Mink Condition? Yeah. I, I remember it was a well-run store. Um, I I knew, you know, I, I met Joe. I met, um, I want to say Chris. Oh, yes. Uh, that was uh, Mrs. Gross's older son. Right. Okay. Okay. And uh, uh, Chris was uh, was affiliated with the I want to say with the was he the one affiliated with the carpet store? Oh no, um, it's Richie. That would be Richie, yeah. right? Richie, right. Richie, right. Richie. Richie Garofolo. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I uh, so Richie and and Joe were the two I met. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the other. There was one other. Is that well. Um, well, when Mrs. Gross was the first owner of this, well, first she had it on Main Street. Well, I remember her. Yes, I remember her. She was right. She was on Main Street. Right. And they had a fire a few years uh, into into the uh, business. Yes. Right. Right. And, right. Right. I did meet her. Yeah. And then they moved over to Port Boulevard for, I guess, most of the time. And then Richie took over the store in like '97, and um, and Joe, you took over what year? Uh, June of 2004. June 2004. So, this, so when Mrs. Yeah, so when Mrs. Gross was running it, you it was um, Joan Gross and John Gross, and then right. they they had the old their older son Chris would run the register, mm-hmm. and then when Richie was running, it'd be Richie and Adrian, Lauren, myself, and and uh, so that those were all those characters. And now I, I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but I I have memories and and Joe and I and um, stuff. You came, I think, to when Mrs. Gross was still owning the store on Port Boulevard, and you did a signing for when Dark Stars Number One came out. Right, I I, I do remember that. I do. Yeah, 
Yeah, I have my copy in my hand right now, Michael. My, my ah. signed copy. <laughs> yeah. Can I reach over there and sign? <laughs> I've got five of them. <laughs> I'm not signed, but I've got five five dark star number ones. Um, it, was, your uh, it, it, it was it, it was a good store. I mean, I re, you know I remember they ha uh, you guys had um, uh, uh, I would say uh, a good a good relationship with the community, and uh, the store itself was comfortable and well organized and. And, um, and, and, and it was good. It wasn't, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, independent comic stores were, were just not that well run. Um, just guys, uh, basically taking their collections and putting them in a retail space. Mm. Uh, but this was, you know, this was good and, 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 uh, professional and obviously, you know, you could, you didn't have to just get comics there. You had, you had, uh, Trading cards and right. Dungeons and Dragons and, and um, Wizards of the Coast and, and that kind of thing. Thank you for the nice words, Michael. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. and uh, and I should say also say thank you because I, I I had a Dark Stars number one signed by you as well, but you also were kind enough when I was in my young art days. You signed a drawing I did of of uh, Dark Stars that day too, so I still I still have that. Oh, wow. so, ah, okay, so. okay, okay. So, I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, James, I remember you from that time, but I didn't remember that I signed that. So that's good. I, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a picture of that up, uh, probably on the Facebook page with this uh, when when we release this episode. So I'll so I'll have you'll be able to see it there, and then everyone else will be able because uh, unfortunately I don't I took pictures of that day when you were signing stuff too, but I don't have those. So at least we'll we'll have the signed drawing to uh -huh. uh, to put up with that too. But uh, right. I was always it was very nice of you to uh, to encourage a young a young artist. Um, so I, I appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, uh, you know, um, well, I still do that kind of thing, but, but we can talk more about that, that later. Sure. Yeah. So, so actually, so um, you've, you've recently in the last six months given, I think some amazing other interviews on podcasts. Uh, you were on the as told to podcast in January and um, mm -hmm. Russ's rock and roller coaster um, recently. So um, I'm going to put these, put the links to those show, those episodes in our show notes, and um, direct the audience to that because um, you give some really great insight into how you started in the career and and how you got writing for Star Trek and stuff. So I, I kind of want to um, jump into some different topics um, that you didn't necessarily dive deep into um, with you uh, on this on this podcast. Great. So one of the things, and um, this is actually from our other co-host who's not here today, but he he wanted to know. Um, you know, you are a very successful writer. Um, you know, you, you've written so many novels and so many comic books and, and other writings as well. So how is it, how did you manage being both, you know, prolific, but also very successful? Like what was, what was the creative, like how did, how did you, you know, manage to do that in your career uh, thus far? Hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, when you're a freelancer, which I was for, for 20 years, if, if when you're a freelancer and, and you get a gig, you know, you try not to lose it and, and you try to make the most of it. So um, it, it behooved me to be prolific, you know, like when, for instance, when I got the the um, uh, Star Trek uh, novel gig, mm -hmm. um, it was uh, every it was it was a every contract was a one book contract. And so. I could, I could I could write five books a year. I could write one book a year, but boy, you know, I, I loved doing it, and I had to make a living. So, I, so as soon as I finished one, or even before I finished one, I'd be working on the next one. Uh, and that's all I did for a while. 
is is right. So um, uh, when you do it every day and uh, and your daily bread depends on it, you get very prolific. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, that, was that stressful, Michael? Did, did did you find the times that it was like uh, could be a little bit uh, overwhelming, or was the creative process just so so uh, strong that you just kept uh, forward, kept going forward? I didn't find it particularly stressful. Um, I, I, I just loved that I was doing it and, um, and that, you know, people said to me, you know, so what do you do for a living? And I was able to say, I'm a writer. There you go. That was, that was, that was a great, a great thrill. And, and, but it's not just being a writer, it's writing. You know, I loved writing. I still love writing. Um, you know, I, I know there are writers who, who some of the time and sometimes all the time, um, say, "Oh boy, I hate writing. I love having written, but I I love writing. Wow, <laughs> I love that's every part of it. I love I love sitting down and starting something new. I love working something I've started. I love uh, uh, sanding off the, uh, the the little knobs off uh, off something I've I've almost finished. Hmm. I." I, I really love every part of it. It's it's very, you know, if if I if I wasn't doing it for a living, I think I'd still be doing it. Do you find like so when you when you are writing or when you were writing, did you? I mean, obviously it was a job, but did you treat it like like a job? Like you like woke up and I you would write for this many hours and or try to get this many words or page count or get this far along in the story. Yeah, I treated it like a job. Um, I I tried to meet a word count, but you know there are different ways to approach it. Um, you know, uh, I mean, first of all, when I when I went freelance, which was back in '85, I had to justify it to myself, to my wife. You know, I had to justify it. Like, is this going to be worthwhile, or or is this just a hobby? And, uh, and so I had to be productive and I had to meet certain standards, but, and I had to have a word count in mind, but when you have that, that it's easy to fall into, you know, into a very stressful situation and get what people generally call writer's block, um, because you're aiming for a certain number and you start out in the morning. I would always start writing about 839 and. And, uh, and I would work until I, I met my word count. It could be three, four, five o'clock. Um, but I had, you know, I tried not to set out and say, oh my gosh, time's going by. I'm not meeting my word count. I tried to avoid that and just go through the process. Go through the process. Read what I did yesterday fine-tune that a little bit, get a running start into today's work, just write, write some more, write some more, not count what I'm doing. And then late in the day, count it up and see how close I was to my, to my goal. It's, it's very easy to, to, to look at, you know, uh, at a goal, a daily goal, and just get frozen. You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? Another minute went by and I didn't write anything. What's going on here? And, uh, you know, that's, that's when you fall into writer's block. It, writer's block's not a mystical thing. There's always a reason for it. And, and word counts are, are very often the reason. 
So, so you really, while on one hand you're you're trying to be productive and and, and meet a, a goal, um, on the other hand you need to remember that it's 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 a creative process and it doesn't always flow the same every day. No, that's that's great. That's great advice, um, or, or that's great to hear because like you know we're all creative people on this podcast and. You have a lot of creative people listen, and sometimes it is daunting to, um, or it's it's easy like to fall into the, the 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 trap of writer's block, or you know letting the process sometimes overwhelm you. So it's you know it seems like your process is just every day you got to just sit down, much like I think the book the the war the war of art, like just sit down and and write, like just keep writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, you know, uh, uh, for a while I was into this distance running. And, and I still run, but not not more than a few miles. But uh, but I ran a marathon in '83, the New York Marathon. Wow! And 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 it teaches you something. It teaches you that that you know, especially when you're writing a long form like a novel, you can't write it all in one day. You have to pace yourself, and uh, and and find the joy in in the thing you did that day even if it didn't get you that much closer to the end of the book. Um, so uh, um, it's, you know, writing and, and particularly writing a novel is a marathon and you, mm. have, you have to treat it that way. That's great. That's, that's, you know, it's, that's like the things you like, you, you always read it, but it's always good to hear someone who's done it to, to reinforce that. Like, that's what you got to do. You got to just, yeah. just got to keep working at it. Yeah. So another question that we wanted to want to ask you is like you have you work with some of the best like you know some of the greatest properties I think you know that yeah. at the time were popular and even now are even perhaps more popular than they were when you're working on it so you know there's so many stories you could tell in those universes but were there were there stories that you went and proposed that they told you you couldn't tell and then how did you how did you still end up writing something even though you couldn't tell the story you originally had in mind for that particular project? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, I, there were, there were lots of times that I couldn't write the thing I wanted to write. Um, for instance, when I was writing the Star Trek next generation comic, I would propose probably half a dozen stories, uh, half a dozen issues uh, worth of stories at a time. And, you know, probably four of them would be approved and one would be um, one would be not approved because it was already it was already in development as a TV episode. And another one, you know, they would say, yeah, you can't do it. We can't tell you why. It's something that's happening or it's or it, it iterates something that's happening. And we can't tell you exactly what it is, but you can't do this. Um, and, and that happened all the time. And and then uh, you know, I once did a, I, I once had a contract to do three a, a trio of uh, start of Star Wars books. And in the middle of what I was doing, they um, they told me, well, yeah, you know, we're we're getting rid of this. We'll we'll, we'll pay you, but we're but we can't you know, can't, wow. can't publish it because. Um, the, uh, movie, movie one tanked and, and, uh, and, uh, franchisees are jumping ship all over the place. <laughs> so we need, we need to have a solid, uh, uh, performance from our, 
uh, from our hardcovers that are that are covering the gap between one and two, uh, because people see them as a bellwether for how the the um, uh, licensed products uh, uh, are going to go um, entering the second movie. So they had this uh, this this Yusan Vong arc that was like twenty six books. And they gutted it because because they didn't wow. want to compete with their own hardcovers. So wow. so uh, I was one of the you know I uh, what I was doing was not critical to the overall arc. So I was the first victim. So yeah, all the time, all the time, stuff would you know, um, and and later on when we talk about uh, what I'm doing now, you know, one of the one of the things I proposed uh, prior to 2012 was a um, uh, a book of, um, about a 21st century Aztec Empire noir murder mystery, uh, and it was gonna it was gonna coincide with 2012, the end of the Mesoamerican calendar. Um, and I, I showed it to a friend who was an editor, and she said, "I love this idea. I I want to read this story, but you know, I can't buy it because because uh, you know." It's it's a it's a 21st century Aztec Empire noir murder mystery. She goes, if I if I showed this to a bookstore buyer, his head would explode. So yeah, I can't buy it. But if you but if you publish it, I want to read it. So, yeah, all the time, all the time, there were things I couldn't do. But but you know, coming up with ideas is is for me, and and not just for me, but for a lot of writers is the easy part. So, you know, I can't do that one. Gee, I wish I could have, but I have this other one. How about that? You know, so it was, you know, um, you always try to recycle it somehow, you know, like um, <clears throat> for a while I was, uh, I was pitching to the Star Trek shows. Um, and I finally, we actually, my partner and I actually had success. We, we wrote uh, and co-wrote, an episode of Star Trek Voyager uh, called Resistance. But up until that point, we probably pitched 30 ideas and, uh, and they couldn't be used for one reason or another, but you can bet they found their way into the comics. I, I watched that episode today, Michael. Did you? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I hadn't seen it in years. And what I took away from that episode was that you kind of uh, dropped the veneer uh, that uh, Janeway was carrying the, you know, the, the, uh, the ship's captain, Starfleet all the way, you know, uh, and we got to see a softer side of her with the uh, character that uh, she interacts with that was played by Joel Gray. So um, it was a very touching and bittersweet ending. I very enjoyed the episode very much. Well, I, mean, I have to say um, it, it, it wasn't just us. Um, uh, Kate Mulgrew and Joel Gray are friends. Oh, so it, it, it gave them more motivation and, 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 and more, more to work with as actors. And um, uh, the writing staff uh, that, that, that rewrote the episode did a great job. Um, and uh, the producer, uh, Jerry Taylor, uh, 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 included us every step of the way. Wow. And it's transparent wow. and inclusive. And, and it was just an amazing amazing and, and productive and positive experience 
unlike what you usually hear. You know, I went to Hollywood, they took my idea, they stole it, and they and they, they mangled my baby, and oh my God. The Hall and Ellison story. <laughs> and now, now I'm in therapy, but for us, it's completely different. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks. It was. It, it came across on the screen. It really did. It was a beautiful, bittersweet episode. It really was. Thank you. For, did for part of it did, I was responsible for. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> I mean, did this? Did the experience of working on the Voyager episode and having such a you know different experience than what most writers have like lure you to to write more television, or was that sort of just like a one and done for you? Well, you know, if you want to really get into television, you have to. And I wasn't ready to do that because, you know, I had this great comic story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, Star Trek was an anomaly uh, in, in that, um, in that you could, you could uh, try to write for the show, even if you didn't live locally, even if you'd never done anything, you know, you didn't have to be connected. All you had to do was submit a great idea and they would buy it. The only problem was they, um, each of the Star Trek shows would would hear something like a thousand ideas a year. Wow! You know, go wow. figure like uh, I don't know, two three hundred pitches, and mm. and um, and uh, they would accept something like three or four. So so you really you really had to be not not just good but also lucky. In fact, um, so we we pitched. Um, the, and then, uh, Jerry Taylor said, Hey, I really like this. Let me bounce it off the writing staff. It was one of six ideas. And, uh, and she gets back to us the next morning and she says, yeah, we're going to buy it. But I have to tell you something. Somebody came in this morning and, and pitched something very, very similar. Wow. If wow. you hadn't pitched yesterday, if you had pitched like tomorrow, you know, we would have had to buy theirs instead of yours. So you really had to be lucky in addition to everything else. Well, I guess it was, it's fortunate. I guess you, you had that opportunity and it went so well. So that, that's like you got a little taste, I guess, of what that side of, of writing is like then. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I really didn't want to move to uh, L.A. I mean, I, I actually, obviously, it's possible to make more money as a, as a screenwriter. I found it much more satisfying to write for books and for comics and so on because you had an audience. I mean, Star Trek books in those days were, were pulling in probably 200,000 200, readers wow. uh, per book. So, so um, you had an audience. You were, you were communicating with somebody. A lot of screenwriters will – there are guys who've never – whose work has never shown on the screen ever. And yet they're making a ton of money because they're, they're writing first and second drafts of things. And, uh, you know, there's five people in the studio who read it say, and say, great job. Wow. That was terrific. But they never really communicate with an audience. So as a writer, I find it much more satisfying to have that audience. Absolutely, yeah, and you you have more. I guess I can understand that. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Yeah. Um, so something else, like our other our co-host wasn't here, but he really wanted to ask you. Um, you know, being you know a, being a parent and being you know a writer and stuff. Did you do you find that your your art 
what you know writing as an art form informed your parenting or that being a parent informed how you wrote once you once you had kids and were writing in the industry yeah i I mean i think everything in your life informs your writing whether you whether you recognize it or like it or not um you know uh yeah i i um i mean my kids for instance would get a kick out of out of showing up in my in my work (laughs) or then you know in in comic book form you know i would use their names you know like like their first name and their middle name they'd be a crewman on on uh, on one of the ships um but uh in terms of being a parent yeah um it was a and one thing that comes to mind is an issue of uh, next generation maybe number 16 or so um it was a classroom situation that that kind of that kind of um the thought for which started in um, in one of my kids' classrooms, you know, there was a discussion in the classroom, and I said, "Hey, that's something." You know, there are kids on the Enterprise D, and uh, they're in classrooms, and you know, we can use that as a jumping-off point for a story. So, yeah, life in general, but you know, my kids' lives, um, our family life, their 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 sports, their um, their class work, all of that eventually worked its way in. I, you know, one of the, I have, have these things called, um, uh, what are they called? Um, they're, they're little spots that show up in front of your eyes. Oh, like, uh, um, having a mental block here. Floaters? Floaters. Thank yeah. you. You're say. welcome. Thank <laughs> floaters, you. Yes. So, so, um, I got these floaters. What they are is they're little, um, Clumps of uh, of of um, uh, viscous material. The viscous material in your eyes it kind of collects at the back, gets clumpy, and uh, and and it shows up as shadows on your retina. Yeah. So, so you have these floaters. I don't notice them; they're not that big a deal. But but uh, I wrote a story called Floaters because oh, I, wow. I knew about them. I you know I said, wow, I could write a story about this. So that was in one of my one of my short story collections, but. Yeah, life is is is, is risk for, for the writing though. Life informs the art. Yeah. That's, on the uh, other hand, on the other hand, you know, if people, a lot of times teachers will give people advice, you know, to write what they know. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> they can if they if they want to, they're comfortable with that. If they want to write about their floaters. It's great, <laughs> but, um, but uh, it doesn't mean they have to. Don't nobody should feel like they have to write what they know, because if that were the case, you know, geez, I've I've written eighty books uh, about things I know nothing about, like you know, living in space, for instance. <laughs> I don't know anything about that, and, and and yet somehow I managed to write books about it. So write what you want to write, and if it happens to be what you know, great. And if it's not, that's great too. Well, yep. it's funny you should mention that because when my experience with Star Trek, especially with Next Generation, was all the techno babble. And I understand that some of the scripts would uh, would have, they would come to a point where Geordi was explaining something to Captain Picard and it would be techno babble. <laughs> they would write that in later. And you would hear that on, 
an episode after episode. What the heck are they talking about? Mm-hmm. I didn't know the ship could do that. So yeah, you're writing about things that are just completely, you know, inertial dampeners, warp speed. This stuff doesn't exist, but as writers, you make it believable and you draw the audience in and we believe it. We, we're along for the ride. You, you draw us in, you make us believe it. Yeah, and it's fun. And, and I guess in a way, you know it because you can do it, but but it's certainly not from personal experience. No, no, no. We, we haven't been traveling to the distant stars. Not yet anyway. <laughs> I mean, I guess you just take your experiences and try, or maybe not. I mean, you just, you try to, I mean, you try to convey something of yourself in a situation you've never been in before. I mean, that's, uh, I guess, I guess part of it too, but you, you, you'll, you can only write up about what you know for so long, especially if you're in a science fiction or superhero genre. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, inevitably part of you gets into it, you know, um, and, and some aspect of your personality gets, gets, gets into every character um, because, you know, they're out there and, and uh, you're the one who's guiding them and you can only guide them uh, in, in a range of experiences you're aware of, whether you experienced it yourself or someone else did, but um, uh, the villains too. You know, as well as the heroes, everybody is is some aspect of you. Mm. No, I, I agree. I agree with that. It's, it's sometimes hard to hard, hard to imagine. You got to think about it. But um, but yes, I, I I definitely agree with that. For the little writing I've done, and but you know, for more when I draw and stuff, yeah, or when I make artistic creations, I'm like, yeah, there's there's a piece of me in that in that artwork. So I, I complete I completely agree with you with that. Mm. Um, so with the you know, we were talking about this earlier about mean condition that when you came into the signing for for Dark Stars. Now, Dark Stars was a was was your creation at DC or was a collaboration? Um, it was only a collaboration insofar as there were artists, but um, but in terms of the writing and the conception of it, that was all me. But uh, what actually happened was I I went into D.C. on my birthday because going into D.C. into the offices of D.C. was like you know what was a better birthday than that? <laughs> just amazing. You'd go in there, you'd see murals and you'd see statues and you'd see you know, editors and, you know, it was just, it was, it was amazing and, uh, and fun. And, and so that particular birthday, I, um, I went in to see, uh, uh, Kevin Dooley, who is the, uh, Justice League and Green Lantern, uh, editor to pitch a couple of things to him, Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was very busy that day, which didn't help. And he listened, and he and you know he just he just didn't get into what I was saying, so uh, so I was a little disappointed. But uh, then uh, uh, Brian Augustine uh, and uh, who is the Flash editor, and mm-hmm. Bob Greenberger, who who is uh, Star Trek editor, I think at the time, or maybe he was working on another aspect of production in those days. But um, anyway, I went to lunch with them, and we went to. Mickey Mantle's restaurant. Oh, cool! Oh, uh, cool. And um, we're sitting there, and uh, and I told them about my experience with Kevin, and they said, you know, um, uh, so what is it about Green Lantern and the Martian Manhunter that you like? And and you know, like you know, trying to tease out the ideas and see if there was another way they could they could use them. And uh, and I told them, and 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 I said, you know what would be great is if I could, if I could kind of mash those guys together, Green Lantern and the Martian Manhunter, that would be 
that would be interesting. And they said, yeah, okay. And, and uh, Brian, of course, was, was the flash editor and he had, he had some leeway and, uh, and he said, give me a proposal. So, so I did, I came up with a proposal for this thing called dark stars and, um, uh, and he liked it and we pitched it to the higher ups and they liked it too. And the next thing you know, I was writing dark stars. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Uh, How did it like, um, I mean, I guess in retrospect, having, you know, some time apart from it, how did it feel to create like characters for the DC universe that were your, your, your own? It was, it was an amazing thrill on one hand and, uh, and, and very difficult and complex on the other, because for instance, um, so I went back to Kevin Dooley. It sounds like, sounds like Kevin Dooley hated me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Dooley, uh, who's a good guy. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, at one point, cause I wanted to use evil star, the, um, the, uh, villain, nobody had used him in a while. And I wanted to use him in dark stars. And he said, well, he goes, you know, we got this going on with evil star. So you can't use him at this time. I said, I'll wait, I'll wait till that's over. And then I'll, he goes, all right. He goes, well, then you have to do this and this and leave him here. And, you know, so we can pick him up, and and so it was very it was like a, a big negotiation. <laughs> uh, who who eventually showed up in I think maybe issues four, five, six, something like that. Um, but uh, you know, using because it was part of the DC universe, using elements in the DC universe were uh, you know that was a that wasn't always easy. We used Hawkman and Hawk woman early on in in that series and uh, later on we adopted john stewart as a as a dark star and, and donna troy right troy is a dark star yeah. and we had crossovers so it was sometimes i think in at least one of those cases the editor came to me and said hey you want this for a while we don't know what to do with them we don't want to leave them fallow but can you use this part this one for a while and so, um, uh, so we wound up that way, getting um, either Donna or John or both. Um, so, uh, so that was great. You know, we were getting bits and pieces from elsewhere in the DC universe, and it was just fun playing around in that sandbox. But, uh, but it wasn't always easy. Sometimes, sometimes there were negotiations involved. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I imagine. But I, yeah, like I said, it, it sounds it sounds like you know for you know for someone like me who would who would aspire to you know do something artistic for for DC or Marvel, like you, you got to add add to the universe, and you got to tell a story, and you and you also, which I know you know from other interviews you've given, you you I guess you 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 didn't have to like solely like you weren't writing a story that couldn't change the universe. Like you added something to the universe and could make, I guess, some changes to it, which must've been, I guess, more freeing than other projects. It was fun, but you know, something, <laughs> I think, you know, most of that is around, like been erased. No. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah, think Brian Collis is around anymore, is he? In yeah. It's, it's a shame. He was such a badass. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Well, you know, Ferran Collis, it, it means iron ass. It, it it was oh God, that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> oh that is great Ferris colon yeah Ferris yeah colon Pharaoh land the legion of superheroes right yeah okay I get it oh, duh, uh, finally got it it took me thirty years <laughs> <laughs> oh so, so yeah that's where the name came from and and 
and uh, but you know the dark stars are around because DC may turned them into villains and yeah, stuff. but uh, we'll talk about current DC <laughs> entirely. It's not entirely gone, but 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 it's been overwritten and overwritten and overwritten because every time every time they relaunch the universe, you know, it, it's a little it's a little less prominent. Yeah. How, how much? How much? Uh, uh, your input went into the design of those exo mantles that they wore. The exo mantles, the suits that they wore, the, the, the dark stars. Yeah. Was that was that the uh, artist's conception, or was that yours? Well, the idea of them and what they could do was mine. Okay. The design of them, Larry Stroman. That was Larry Stroman. Okay. Who who, uh, who was only with us for like three issues before he, before he wasn't. Um, he. Uh, he designed the Dark Star's costumes. He looked around his, his his apartment and he said, All right, well first he looked he, he opened the cutlery drawer, drawer <laughs> and he said, oh, okay, this stuff could go into an exomantle. So if you look at the exomantle, it looks like Larry Stroman's cutlery drawer. <laughs> I'm at, you know, I'm looking at a copy of a co- cover right now, and you're right. That's <laughs> so cool. And then if this you look at, at the pattern above the star on the dark stars uniform in, in number one um mm. those are those are his piano keys they do look a piano because you're oh yes. fascinating wow yeah. Right. look at that so larry you know it, 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 that dark star essentially wears larry stroman's apartment <laughs> <laughs> see what you hear first on uh, on this podcast yes <laughs> uh, incredible <laughs> oh man well my story I want to talk about um, your your new your Kickstarter and your current yes. work um, before, but I have to ask one thing just because uh, it, it stood out for me, and uh, you know, and I, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet because I, you know, but I, I want to. Is um, how did you get to write a sequel to the Wolfman? That's I love Universal Monsters. That yeah. is my favorite monster, and um, I, I'm looking forward to reading the book. But um, I just have to know the story behind getting getting that continuation of the story. Right. Um, uh, well, my, my friend Rob Simpson, who was an editor at DC, moved over to the West Coast, and his company got the um, got the rights to to um, to uh, the Universal Monsters, and also um, to uh, uh, Alien and Predator. And he said, "Hey, Mike, we got we got six different Universal Monsters." Would you like one? And I said, Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sounds like fun. And I want the Wolfman. So, so that's how I wound up with that. Um, yeah. And I, I, um, I know it's it's it, the Wolfman seemed kind of less, sort of a, a more natural outgrowth of 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 the supernatural tradition than um, you know Frankenstein, which was you know a few hundred years old. The Wolfman goes back to Greek times and, mm-hmm. and probably earlier. Um, so uh, so uh, I was fascinated by that and I wanted to do that. And Rob was kind enough to let me. Oh, fat, great. Wow, that's that's great. That's great. I, I look forward to, uh, I'm going to, I'm getting a copy of it and I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to read this because I was like, I did, when I was like getting ready for the, you know, to have you on the show, I was like, ah, oh, you wrote the Wolfman. I got, I got to read this. I didn't even know this was, it was around. So, so I look forward to reading that, but that, that's, that's great. So let's let's move into. So you have a Kickstarter currently going going on for for a new creative venture that you that you have. But I, I guess before we specifically talk about the new new Kickstarter, um, you have the you're part of um, Crazy Eight Press, right? Right. 
So Crazy Eight, uh, Crazy Eight Press, is we started this uh, 12 years ago, um, and I had been complaining for a long time to my fellow writers that that things were not going well, that retailers were 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 you know uh, um, fragile, and that um, publishing companies were were having problems. Basically, people were reading. Um, fewer books and or and spending less time reading and doing instead other things like video games and being on the internet and so on and so that was having uh, that was that was sending shockwaves through the world of publishing mm. and I was concerned that that on on one hand the the, the, the uh, push factor was that um, we had to preserve the relationship between reader and writer or we'd have nothing to do. Um, the, the pull factors were that uh, publishers no longer enjoyed exclusive access to, to production, and they no longer uh, enjoyed exclusive access to the means of distribution and, uh, or the means of, uh, of um, marketing. So the only thing that publishers had um, that, we, that we couldn't uh, compete with was the ability to give an advance. But if you could get past that, um, you could become your own publisher. Uh, the thing is, you needed an audience. And, and I and, and the people that I was talking to uh, ad infinitum, uh, they all had their own audiences. Uh, um, and they, they said, yeah, Mike, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Okay, 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 go away. So then... Um, then they, uh, then borders went out of business and all of a sudden they went, ah, Mike may not be so crazy after all. And so, uh, so they, they corralled me. I was at a convention in Baltimore and, and so were a number of them. And I come out of the bathroom and they're waiting for me. It's like a gauntlet. And, and, and they said, okay, Mike, we're ready to listen. So, um, I said, we have to, we have to start a group, um, that will publish, our most uh, uh, um, our, our our most closely held visions, the things we're most passionate about, like that 21st century Aztec Empire noir murder mystery, mm. and uh, we'll do that ourselves. And and we won't operate as individuals. We'll take advantage of our numbers to get to get the word out about new books and to have certain economies of scale, um, and. Uh, Nobody really knew what I was talking about, but they said, yeah, you know what? We got to do something. So why not this? And, uh, and little by little, they, they saw, hey, there is a plan here. And uh, most of them stuck with me. And then others came aboard. Um, and we had some, some you know, we have, uh, we have screenwriters. We have um, uh, comic writers. We have prose writers. Um, and uh, and we're and and we have people you know uh, within our ranks who are experts in marketing, who are experts in book design, ah. and we all kind of work together to help each other, um, and and such is Crazy Eight. So um, so I, you know, we uh, I'll give you another example. Peter David, uh, who's one of my colleagues and good friends in Crazy Eight, had a had a, a book that he tried to uh, uh, get published 
um, about vampires. And uh, uh, it was called Pushing Up Stakes. And <laughs> traditional publishers. And they said, no, no. First of all, you're not a woman, Peter. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you're not a woman. And uh, women write these things. And then uh, uh, <laughs> the hero is not a woman either. That's strike two. And it's a funny story. It's a funny vampire story. I'm sorry. You just struck out. So good luck with that. But he was able to publish it through Crazy 8. And uh, the, the, um, the mathematics of it are that um, we, don't, uh, we, can't, we can't compete with the distribution numbers of a traditional publisher. But um, our gross profits per book are 10 times what they are if we were writing uh, for that other publisher. So we could still do okay with a book. Um, and retain all the rights. Yeah. So wow. in the event that wow. something happens, we're the sole proprietor. Um, uh, there's nobody, no publisher sharing that with us. Um, the the thing that uh, that we're promoting now is called the Phenomenons. Uh, we uh, last year we came out with the first book in the series. Uh, it's a shared world anthology. So uh, it's, uh, it's about superheroes, all of whom live in the same reality. And um, the first book was uh, Phenomenon's Every Human Creature. Every Human Creature is a phrase from Dickens. And uh, we, that worked out well, so we stuck with Dickens. And, uh, and uh, the one we're promoting now is Phenomenon's uh, Season of Darkness. So uh, um, we have about 15 writers about more or less 15 different heroes. Um, and, and the strength of this is that everybody, while they're living in the same world and they're very encouraged to interact with the, the characters of other writers in this anthology, they're pretty much doing what they're most passionate about. You know, we said, if you, if you could come up with a, with a superhero, who would it be? What would, that, what would it be like? And so we have, you know, we have a, a, um, Paul Kupperberg, uh, who loves super speedsters, all being, a, you know, very accomplished uh, and experienced uh, comic book writer as well as a prose writer. Um, in fact, he was my editor on Dark Stars for a while. Um, oh. And so, uh, so Paul came up with Torque, who's a super speedster, but otherwise has nothing in common with the super speedsters that you've seen in comics. He's a very, very troubled uh, buckaroo. Um, that's Torque. And then at the same time, we have uh, Marie V. Bear, who's a terrific science fiction writer uh, and is finding a lot of success in prose these days. She writes Lipstick Lily, who, who writes crime with, a, with an arsenal of specialty lipsticks. There's <laughs> something like her. For, oh no, not another crime fighter with specialty lipsticks. Um, but uh, uh, so we have a wide range of of, uh, of of passion projects. It's really what they are. They're passion projects. So um, we have um, Dan Hernandez who who co-wrote um, the uh, Adams Family Two and the Pokemon Detective movie. He's he's aboard. Uh, he was with us for uh, uh, volume one. He's doing it again for volume two. He has a couple of sisters uh, called uh, Colosa y Particula, 
and they uh, one shrinks and the other one expands. So one's basically giant man, the other one's basically ant man. But they're sisters, and what's interesting about them is the dynamic between them, which resonates with their powers. Um, so, uh, like one's an introvert, one's an extrovert. So, okay. it, what's really interesting is that relationship. So, every character that we have is is fueled by the passion of that writer. It's not just an assignment; it's a it's a passion project, and um, and they and they bounce off each other they work together um you know writing is um is typically a very solitary endeavor right so this is a lot of fun for them whether they're you know jeff thorne who's written uh uh extensively for television and produced things like the librarians written for ben 10 you know he's doing a, a character called rascal and he loves it and he would never give this up uh, uh for anything so uh so so he's got that character and then you know you have Michael A Burstein who's who's a perennial nebula and uh, and Hugo uh, nominee uh and he's uh and he's writing Red Sky uh who's a character who who can uh, what Mike calls chronoback he can he can at various times go back 15 seconds in time but he can only do it once in a given time period so, so these are the characters that, you know, I didn't hand them out. I didn't say, okay, now you're going to do this and you're going to do that. I said, what do you want to do? And was this, um, was this idea of these, the superhero anthology yours, or did a bunch of the writers come to you with the, the idea of doing this? Uh, it was my idea. And in, in fact, at one point when I first started thinking about it, because I said, you know, what do I want to do? That's what I want to do. Uh, I, I want to write about superheroes, and I've been writing a lot of superhero stories in my personal collections, uh, my personal anthologies, uh, for a few years now. And I finally said, you know what? Let's let's do a full fledged universe. And initially, I said, oh, okay, that's great. I could write this one, and I could write that one. And then I said, you know, it kind of feels more like a shared world kind of thing, and it'll probably work better if everybody contributes a character. And so mm -hmm. I started, I started with crazy eight, of course. Um, uh, and, uh, and then we expanded to other writers who, who I had edited in the past and um, it's working out really well. I, I know <clears throat> I've been currently reading the, um, the first uh, phenomenons, the, uh, the every human creature one. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying, I like the, I like an anthology. Um, I like the characters so far. I think the, um, you know, in terms of like powers you've never seen before, was it the sarcastic uh, fish who can, can control salt is a particularly interesting character. I really like that. Sarcastic fringe head. Fringe head. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm liking, I, that's a very unique power that I'd never thought of. So I, I, I like the uniqueness of that. And, um, and you start off the series with um, the gray guardsman. Right. Right. You can't go, the gray guardsman is basically, He's basically uh, on the spectrum between, you know, uh, Captain America and Batman. Um, he's uh, he's the the first uh, superhero uh, to to appear in that world, and he inspires a whole generation of others. Um, and then he disappears for a while, and he's presumed dead. 
And then all of a sudden he shows up again. And, and we're led to wonder, well, how did that happen? And, and why was he away? And we thought he was dead, but what's going on? And, uh, and so there's a certain mystery surrounding that, which I, after you read the first book, you'll, you'll get that first layer of the onion stripped away. But, uh, but there are other layers. So he, he's a period uh, piece character, Michael? Um, no, no, he's, um, we're, we're positing that, uh, that, that superheroes appeared in this world uh, right after the onset of the financial crisis in 2008. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Fair, so that's yeah. going way back. That's that's a really interesting and different take. Okay. I, I wanted to focus on. I wanted to stay away from from golden age characters mm-hmm. for the time being. I wanted to stay away from uh, uh, alternate worlds, alternate realities, you know, crisis on infinite Earth kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to just focus on. Um, on a superhero reality. Most of it takes place in New York, but not all of it. Um, and the world they operate in is a lot like ours, except in their world, we never recovered from the financial crisis. Ah. So things are not good. Um, and superheroes, you know, if you study superheroes, you know that they're most popular at times that are not good. You know, when we're at war or or in a depression. Or, yeah, Superman was a depression age hero. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so these guys are 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 uh, thrust into into the problems of this reality. For instance, uh, Keith DeCandido um, has a character called Luminosity, who's the superhero of the Bronx. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and she's. And and she lives in the shadow of Yankee Stadium. All right, <laughs> gotta read that. <laughs> but uh, not really, you're close. And um, and so a lot of it, you know, Keith lives in the Bronx, and so a lot of it is the corner of this and this uh, is authentic. Um, but she uh, she has to deal with um, a real estate group that's horning in on on the neighborhood and trying to drive uh, small business owners out so they can move in the the villains in in this are sort of a class of villains they're they're sort of like american oligarchs mm-hmm. um, and they're in they have their fingers in real estate and and finance and so on they're like the the land barons and the railroad guys back in the western uh, era yeah actually yeah. actually uh, we call them the captains of industry there you go yeah uh-huh. so they're they're sort of like the um uh, you know the the guys who you know who started the steel industry and the mm-hmm. railroads and you yeah. know Carnegies and the and the and the Vanderbilts and so right. cool yeah a lot of a lot of what takes place a lot of what what our heroes have to fight is is an outgrowth of of these sort of American oligarchs no it's a it's a very timely I think piece. You know, for, oh, yeah. for for what we're you know currently going through. So, and I'm you know, I, like I said, I'm I'm enjoying reading it, and I, I look forward to reading this, and then going into the book for the Kickstarter. So, the Kickstarter at this point is to is I guess to get the book um, fully funded and published, or what's how? So, what are our where are the goals that um we're, you're trying to get to for the Kickstarter? Well, the main the main thing is to pay the the, the biggest expense is to pay our writers. Mm-hmm. You know. A, a lot of 
lot of the reason I do these anthologies is to is to pay writers. You know, I love doing that. Um, and sometimes, uh, 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 often, uh, uh, to pay artists as well, because so, some of the rewards are um, uh, involve uh, illustrations, the cover, of course, and also interior illustration. So um, I love supporting creative people. I, 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 yeah, I guess that's sort of giving back, I guess, but, but I just like doing that. Um, and, um, and so they have to get paid. And, and that's, that's a big chunk of, of the money. Um, Kickstarter and, and um, the um, payment system that they subscribe to take about 9% of the total. And so what's left, you know, my, our goal is 8,500. They take about, uh, let's say 800. Now we're down to uh, 7,700. Most of that goes toward um, paying the writers, paying the artists and also uh, printing and distribution um, for the uh, backers who've chosen physical rewards. Um, and then we have a bunch, a bunch of books left over that we can then go out and uh, take to conventions and so on and sell. Um, but uh, it's really to promote and, and, and support um, writers. That's, that's sort of why, why Crazy Eight started. And, uh, you know, so it's our, our group's uh, uh, goal to do that and to preserve the relationship between the reader and the writer, because that's where the magic is. Um, and, and it's my personal goal to do that through these, these anthologies. No, that, that's a wonderful that's goal. Great. And it's yeah, very generous and share or try to, you know, encourage and get other writers paid and working and stuff. So that's, that's an amazing goal. So I mean, Crazy Eight Press in terms of like, you obviously, aside from the Kickstarter we're talking about, you've, as you've alluded to, you have other books and anthologies. Are, are all of those available for people to buy or, or order through Amazon for Kindle? Or is there, those works are available too, if people want to check out other, other stuff from Crazy Eight Press? Sure. Well, they can go to Crazy Eight. Eight the numeral is the best way to do it. Crazy Eight Press dot com, and they'll see there's probably sixty to seventy books in inventory. Wow! They can get any of them. Yeah, it's been you know it's been a while since we started, and we have ten writers now in our ranks. So, um, and we're producing books every year. So um, we have well over sixty titles. And you can, you, there are links in our website where you can order those titles, or you can look for them on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, and you can get them that way as well. Can I find uh, Empty Space on Amazon? Uh, <laughs> the graphic novel? I, the one thing, that's the one thing you can't, you can't find on, uh, on Amazon right now. Okay. Um, Empty Space. Uh, I want to read that. Yeah. was a uh, graphic novel that I did. Um, through my own little company, Museworthy. Okay. And, um, and Empty Space, uh, it's a graphic novel uh, of about 125 pages. Um, it, sh- it, was, uh, uh, it was published on Comixology ah. uh, in individual um, uh, comics, five individual comics in the series, and then collected as a graphic novel, and we kickstarted it. But um, at the moment, we're in between. I haven't decided quite yet how I want to go forward with it, although I do have uh, uh, a goal of writing a crazy eight, uh, no, I'm sorry, an empty space novel. Ooh. 
a prose novel for Empty Space that's a sequel to the graphic novel. I have to read the graphic novel first, <laughs> and then we'll await the so prose novel. I'm going to be kickstarting that probably in the next six months or so. Um, I'll be kickstarting uh, an Empty Space novel, and one of the things I'll be offering as, in the rewards um, is the Empty Space graphic novel. Okay. Which okay. is beautiful, by the way. It's beautiful. It's just, you know, the artwork in, in that graphic novel by uh, a Brazilian artist named Caio Cacau is just incredible. And, the, you know, the pencils, the inks, the colors, um, every, everything about it's really nice. Wow, that sounds great. Well, uh, Mike, as we, we usually wrap up every episode by by us giving recommendations, but in lieu of that, aside from... We're going to direct everyone to the Kickstarter. Um, this is this is coming out on June 8th. So the Kickstarter goes to June 10th, uh, June 12th, right? 12th, right. So um, so for audience, we recommend you go there. I'm going to recommend you check out Phenomenon's Every Every Human Creature because it's great. But um, are there any other books, either from Crazy 8 or from your library, you, you would want to recommend that people specifically um, check out? Well, um... Uh, pretty soon, we'll be publishing uh, the Aslan book, which is that, that's the 21st century Aztec Empire Noir murder mystery. Uh, that's, um, that's called Aslan uh, Investigator for the Empire. Uh, that'll be out soon. Uh, and I think, uh, I think people will enjoy that. It's actually the second book in the series. Uh, you don't have to read the first book to enjoy it, but you could also read the, the first book which is the Mashtla Kalua Mysteries, uh, which compiles the, the previous stories. Um, and, and that's something I would recommend. Um, and also I have, uh, have anth uh, anthologies, you know, collections of my own work that have kickstarted in the past, which is something that, um, uh, that they should, you know, folks should take a look at. I'd be grateful if they did. Um, and those, uh, those can all be found, uh, with the exception of Empty Space, those can all be found on our crazyapress.com website. And uh, there are also too many to name great books by, by our other authors there. And I'd, I'd be very happy if you went there and bought a book by one of my colleagues. Yeah, that's great. So Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you're you're welcome to come on anytime for any Kickstarters you want to promote or just reach out to us and, you know, we'll, we'll have you on to talk about them, you know, especially if the, since Joe is really interested and I'm intrigued now about empty space, we, you mm -hmm. know, you can come on anytime and promote whatever Crazy Eight's doing or you're personally doing, but we really thank you for being on this, at this episode. Sure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Oh, thank you very much, Michael. Well, everybody, everybody at the Phenomenons Season of Darkness Kickstarter page. Yes, please. And we will put a link on that in the show notes. Um, we're going to start putting up, uh, I think, well, we can talk off air, but you, you could probably give me direct links. We'll put it right on the Facebook page for Mint Condition to start promoting this episode ahead of its release. But then we'll continue to post it up until the, the Kickstarter on the 12th for you. So um, you. We'll, we'll put it out there in front, in front for you. So, so Michael, thank you so much for being here. And um, Joe, of course, thank you for being here. Oh, this is a great pleasure. This is a lot of fun. Thank you, Michael. And listening audience, I, I appreciate you joining us, and I hope you really enjoyed um, 
our guest and will please support uh, his current work and all the previous work and all the artists that he's um, supporting and building up. And um, if you have comments, questions, um, please check cover the Facebook page, Secret Origins of Mink Condition on Facebook and write your comments and notes and checking out some of the books we spoke about today. Please uh, write that there too. I'm sure Mike would like to hear that as well. We thank you for listening and we will talk to you on the next episode.